This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Ernest Owusu. Ernest played defensive end in the NFL after a successful career at Cal. He is currently the Senior Director of Sales Development at Sixth Sense, a 1,300-employee revenue AI company. Here he is, Ernest Owusu. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Ernest? Not bad. You know, the sun's shining. It's a good day. Why? No complaints. It's it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for for joining us. Um, so so for a little bit of context, Ernest, our show is really for new sellers um, and people that are considering a potential career shift into sales. Mm-hmm. Um, our mission at Shift Group is we help uh, former elite athletes and military veterans um, really try to become elite sales professionals. That's the whole kind of mission of the of the company. Um, and we always we're always interviewing either veterans or former athletes who have found success in sales. So uh, we always like to start at the same place, which is um, with the uh, athletic career. Um, and we we start with a really broad question. I, I'm I'm curious to know you've had an awesome you had an awesome athletic career. What what are some of your favorite memories of, of playing football? Yeah, it's uh so definitely a lot of you know favorite memories. I'd say the one that like sticks out the most to me was my first game in the NFL. It was a preseason game. We were playing in San Francisco 49ers in Candlestick Park. Um, weirdly enough in college, I don't know if everyone knows this, but you don't get to hear the national anthem because you're back in, in your stadium or in the tunnel, so you don't get to be a part of that. Um, and like, just like think about it, it's getting a little emotional, but it's like the first time I was on the field hearing the national anthem, first preseason game in the NFL, I was like, I, I made it. Like, I, How did I like this this dream I had in my entire life of getting here and I, I'm playing with Hall of Famers and I'm hearing the national anthem and I just I could not believe it. That was like, you know, forget all the amazing sacks, great plays, like overtime wins, all of that. That one moment of the national anthem, hearing that for the first time, I, I lost it. Uh, that is, I mean, I, I, I experienced it at the at the Division One college level. And I remember like, like you said, you get tears in your eyes because you know the commitment and work it took to get there. And it's just mm-hmm. the best feeling in the world. Exactly. Uh, when, when, when you look back, Ernest, at your career, like, what are, what are like some of the things you remember about some of your favorite teammates? Like, what are their traits? What are the characteristics of a great teammate, you know, playing in college, playing in the NFL? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've fortunately through my time from Cal as well as in the NFL, I played with a lot of great athletes. And my, my recruiting class at Cal, I think like, of the 26 of us, half of us went to the league. So that was pretty cool. But, you know, in particular, when I got, when I got to the NFL, primarily with the Vikings and the Bucks, I got to play with some Hall of Famers, eventual, eventual Hall of Famers. Um, but the one person that always sticks out to me was Jared Allen. Not because, like, at the time, he was, like, like the top of his game. He, he had just, like, come from half a sack short of breaking Michael Strahan's record. But the really cool thing about that was Jared at the time was, by far and large, one of the very best defensive ends in the NFL, 
but you wouldn't know it through his work ethic and how he took care of his body and how he prepared every single day. Like he was always the very first person out on the field, practicing his reps, making himself stronger, making himself more elite before and after. And and the cool thing about him in particular was like, don't get me wrong. He was super athletic. He was a great, great athlete. But like one of the cool things about being in the NFL was I noticed that a lot of the players were like really, really, really good at one or two things and average at the rest. And Jared was one of those people who was just elite at his pass skills. Like he had, he had these one or two moves and that was, like, that was it. That's all he did. And he was so much better at executing them than others that like he knew the way he was going to make his money and help our team win was by constantly practicing and perfecting it. And again, despite all the success and the numbers he had, he was still dedicated to that. Even he was making like literally a $17 million contract at the time. So like, that was pretty cool to see that. That's amazing. And, and, and I'm sure like when we get into the sales the sales side, there's there's Hall of Fame salespeople that are the exact same way that you just described, which is really, really uh-huh. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think how do you think your like your Cal teammates would describe you from your playing days in college? <laughs> yeah, so I'd say um um I was definitely a gym rat. <laughs> I was that person that like I was never gonna let you all compete me in the way room. I was always gonna be the strongest and one of the fastest on the team. And they definitely they called me out for that a lot. Uh, that definitely carried over to my branding when I got into the NFL as well. They always considered me the gym rep. So I was, again, one of the strongest people on the team. But through that, I think everyone knew that I was really dedicated and really disciplined because, again, I wanted to be really strong and really fast at everything I did. And I'd say probably more of those things than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty good reputation to have as someone that works really hard. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's a good thing. And it, and it's just like you talked about, uh, Jared, it's like leading by example too, right? The underclassmen see see you, the rookie, see him making $17 million and being the first one in the building. That's That sets the tone for, for guys' careers. I'm sure he changed a lot of guys' careers because of that. Um, and, and you, the same in, in college. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It, looking back at your football career, so many accomplishments. Like, what What's the accomplishment you would say you're most proud of from your football career? Yeah, sure. And this is going to sound kind of weird, um, but I think the thing that I'm most – proud of is my last couple of moments in the NFL. And the reason why, and I think a lot of athletes fundamentally, like our careers don't typically end when we want them to, unfortunately, like unless you're that hall of fame or unless you're that like all time great where you get to go out and, and ride the horse in the sunset, like you'd like to, most of us don't get that opportunity. But the thing that I'm most proud of is, um, you know, weirdly enough, when I got to the NFL, like, don't get me wrong. I love football. I love making the big plays, the sacks. But I started to fall in love a lot more with being really good at what I do and perfecting my craft. A lot of this from Jared Allen because I saw it from him. But I'm most proud of the end because I realized I was at a place where I could create environments and systems where I was operationalizing myself and making myself that much more effective and, and being a lot more focused on my process to continue to make myself better and better and better literally every single year. And, you know, it was a feat that made me feel as if I could not be touched in terms of improvement. And, it, you know, especially getting to the NFL and, and being that place where, you know, I had to go through trial and error, of, like learning how to do that. The end was where I really saw that. It was really cool to experience that. By the way, like that, I mean, that it's, that's a habit, right? Like enjoying the work, enjoying the process. Um, that's a good kind of uh, uh, point to kind of go into the, the transition. Because like bringing that, that's one of the things we talk to our athletes about is like, listen, you're gonna you're gonna end when you don't want to. Like you, you even talked about it. Like look at Tom Brady. You think that's how he wanted to end his career? Absolutely not, right? Um, so, so but that being said, the identity crisis can somewhat be avoided if you bring that mindset to whatever you decide to do next. So I'm curious, like 
you're you're in the NFL, you know, chasing down QBs. And I'm I'm sure all you can think about is is cold calling and being a technology <laughs> sales professional, right? Like <laughs> so so tell us a little bit, like how'd you end up how'd you end up in sales? Were there other career paths that you explored and considered? Yeah, definitely. And, and I will say I was not thinking about doing cold calls when I was in the NFL. So that's <laughs> a big adjustment. Um but for me, like I, I did a lot of different stuff. Like in college, I worked security. I did an internship at UBS, so like financial services. Um, but the biggest thing was, you know, I was very conscious of what got me to that elite level. And you know, I took a hard look at myself, look in the mirror of like, okay, what exactly was it was? Like, what are the intangible things that allow me to achieve that level of success? Why was it that I was like always the strongest and working so hard? All those things, right? So when I realized that, I started, you know, to talk to people and, and gather more resources. And all signs and roads led towards sales. So I actually talked to a former teammate. I was like, hey, like I'm starting to realize that sales is going to be a great uh, career path for me, given what I've done in the past, really pretty natural transition that was very different from playing football, like tactically. So we'd love to hear from you, like what's that like and, you know, and what your experience has been like so far. And, you know, talking to him, and I just kind of started falling in love with the process and what things would be like as a salesperson and realized that like literally, you know, the exact things that I would be focusing on as a salesperson were kind of more or less what I was thinking about as an athlete. So I took a leap of faith, became an SDR, you know, started hitting the phones and the rest is history. That's unreal. I, and I couldn't agree more, right? Like, you know, there's a, there's a saying, right? Horse, horses want to run, right? And athletes, like, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, like when they, if they go into something where they can't compete, yep. where they can't get coaching and see themselves get better at something, where they can't feel like they're part of a larger team, right? Like, they struggle, right? And, and and I think sales checks so many of those boxes, which is why we've we've seen the success. We've we've also been fortunate, Ernest. We've helped a couple guys that that played some games at the NFL level um, get jobs as BDRs. And one of the things that we always they they always kind of talk to me about is like, well, you know, I feel like I'm I'm taking a step back. I feel like and 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 I'm curious to get your take. Like you were an NFL defensive end, and then you were a BDR. What was that process like of like, you know, you carried the water bottles again. What was that? How was that mentally and emotionally? And how'd you get over it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's interesting, especially for like an elite athlete that was in the NFL, um, being in a position where you're calling people instead of people calling you and like you hunting people down versus the entire life I was with hunting you down. Yeah. That was an emotional shift for me. <laughs> I had to get used to that. Um, but, you know, honestly, the biggest thing I can think about is like, you know, my time as an athlete, I had been a freshman before. I had been a rookie before. I'd been at the bottom and I'd worked my way up. And I knew again that like, this is something that was very different, very much from like going to, from high school to college, going from college to NFL. But like, I was able to, you know, defeat those opportunities, those, those um, situations and become stronger. So why can I do it any different this time around? So yeah, it was challenging again, like you know, hunting people down and not knowing anything. And, you know, it's kind of funny too, because even my time as an SDR when I first started, like I literally knew nothing. And my first quarter, I hit 50% attainment. I was really bad at first, like horribly bad. I was like afraid of my job afterwards. <laughs> but, you know, despite that, you know, the most important thing was, again, I knew I'd been a rookie before. I'd been a freshman where I was getting my butt kicked by these seniors who were a lot stronger than me. I knew that as long as I, like, stayed on my craft and worked really hard, this this job opportunity was very much like being an athlete where, like, what I put in is what I get out. And I'm going to put everything I got into it. And as a result, you know, I started getting better and better through time. So, um, yeah, again, like I hit 50% my first quarter, and then after that, it was 100%. And after that, it was uh, you know, 150%, and so on and so forth. So, um, I had confidence that that would happen again, but it is tough, obviously, being in that place where like you're literally at the bottom and having to work your way up again. 
Totally, totally. One one of the reasons I started Shift Group, uh, Ernest, was like when I retired from hockey, like you, I, I think like I, I had a sense that sales was a good fit. I also had like preconceived notion about what sales is. Like I, you know, the immediate it, it, most young young people, you say the word sales, they think of the used car salesman. So really like understanding like what B2B sales is and how it's consultative and like companies only buy stuff if they're trying to solve a problem or achieve a goal, right? So that's different than selling a, you know, a Honda Civic with 80,000 miles on it. Um, but there wasn't a lot of resources for me to use. And, and I kind of had like you, I think I had to figure out a lot myself. Were there, were there like tools or strategies or resources that you were using to support that transition to go from 50% to 150%? Like what were you yeah, definitely. So I'd say right now, you know, people that are entering into this into the sphere have a lot in their favor where there's a lot out there in terms of LinkedIn and, and so, people that are posting content daily almost. I didn't have that. So what I basically had to do was just like reach out to people and talk to them. And I will say for anyone out there, whether you're a veteran or an athlete, people like, and again, this is like something that my, my father-in-law was, he put, he ran track account and he was telling me I was making a transition to think about this. The fact that you are an elite athlete or were an elite athlete or you were a veteran, Mark my words on this, especially someone who hires within this role, your resume will go to the top of the pile because you essentially have a master's and the skill sets to be effective in the role. So I think yeah. having that air of confidence is really important. And, 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 and with that, you know, if you are proactive and reach out to people in your network, people that have done it before, people that can provide guidance, chances are they're going to want to help you because they know kind of what you can do and want to be a part of the ride. So I highly encourage you to reach out to people in your network, especially people that were athletes or were veterans in the past. But for me, like a lot of what I did was, again, like there was no LinkedIn back then, at least to the extent of what it was, what it is right now. So I read literally every single book I possibly could. I talked to anyone that would you know, give me the time of day. And I started stacking bricks on what I was starting to realize was working versus what was not. And before I know, I had a pretty good arsenal on things that would make me an effective you know, salesperson and leader. I, I think even with all the resources out there, even with a company like ours that literally is dedicated to it, it's it's meaningful to go out and have those conversations on top of that right like you know at the end of the day you got to play in the nfl because whatever it took you did it right and 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 the extra you know the extra work paid off and the same thing's going to happen in sales like you've got to you've got to do everything in your power right i always tell people library cards are free that's like an analogy for you know what's out there um and and you just got to take advantage of it do you have anything like you look back? I, I know I do. Like at the beginning of my sales career, that I would do over if I had a chance. Anything that that you were like, you wish you could kind of change going back there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of things that you know it's tough because I, I made a lot of mistakes early on, but I'm glad I made those mistakes because I learned from them. Um, I think the one thing I wish I would have been better about was when I was making the transition from becoming a BDR to an account executive. Um, I'm usually, as I mentioned, like very disciplined around my process and, and, and what it takes for me to affect my role. I wish I had done more to prepare for that jump because that jump wasn't, it was a lot greater than I thought it was going to be. So I think there's one, the one we're going to have is something that I could have controlled rather than anything that like I experienced through results. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good example. Um, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. So like you, you got to say you got a senior uh, from Cal, they're a football player, maybe women's lacrosse player. Um, and, they, and they're starting to make a plan for their career. Right. Um, and they're considering sales. Um, what like your guidance to them is really, you know, go talk to as many people as you can. Right. 
on top of that, right, what we see is is a lot of our candidates get multiple offers, right? They're typically, you know, and 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 we're having conversations nowadays about base, OTE, benefits, uh, time off, remote person office. I, I guess like what from your perspective, and, and and I think you and I further in our career, we look back and like those things will figure themselves out. What what are some criteria that you're coaching these these kids up on in terms of the place, the company, the organization that they're going to start their career? What does good look like for you? Yeah, so I, I always tell people never underestimate a really strong manager who's invested in you. And, and the reason for that is because if you have a manager who isn't going to just like, you know, completely just like, you know, sink or swim or figure it out on your own, which is great learning in some, in some capacity, but someone who really knows what they're talking about and is going to be guiding you through questions and helping you really understand the best way to improve, those people will allow you to be multiplied in terms of how effective you are in, in your trajectory of your career. Um, now, that's not to say that, like, there are certain organizations that don't have strong management or they don't have a lot of infrastructure and resources, and then you can figure it out and, and you will find ways to win. But again, if you are interviewing somewhere and you see that they have, like, really strong onboarding, they have really good resources in terms of enablement, they have a, you have a manager who has done it before and has a track record of promoting people and helping them grow their careers, I would jump on that, you know, 10 times out of 10. Right. And again, that's not to say that a smaller organization without those resources won't be something that, that will be helpful for you, but it just might be a little more, more challenging. So for me, for example, right, I um when I did make that jump in, it's no knock on my first organization, but it was a, a smaller company at the time. I was reporting to a VP of sales, like we barely met, though he's an awesome leader. Like I still talk to him very much this day. But I had to go out and find things on my own versus kind of like the programs that I've led right now, or that I'm currently leading where it's very much like a dedicated resource, really strong enabling and onboarding. And, you know, you see people start growing a lot more quickly because the resources are in place. Yeah. I, uh, by the way, like I, I always say leadership first, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same as sports, right? You, a lot of the times we choose the college we go to based off the coaching, um, you know, and, and the people that are, ultimately they're going to be in charge of, of making you successful and building your foundation. So it's super duper important. And then, identifying, you know, like you said, a, a culture of development, right? If they're small and they don't have like structured onboarding and, and structured training and development, is their culture still one of coaching and growth and improvement? Like those are definitely, in my opinion, and forget about, you know, product, company size, growth, those things matter. But if you can find that and spend your first 12 months in that type of type of setting, you're going to, you're going to have success in the long term. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, we, we have, uh, we've got a lot of folks that have joined the show um, and, and they've taken a similar path to you, right? Like you, you, when you watch, when you see salespeople, a lot of the BDRs we place, they're just like, I can't wait to become an AE as fast as possible or, mm -hmm. or be an enterprise rep closing huge deals. Um, now we've had a few people like you that have chosen a path of leadership, right? Spending your time recruiting, teaching, motivating new sellers. Uh, my guess is a, a lot of that reason is um, because of the way that your leaders impacted your your life and your career. But can you add any color? Like why why have you chosen this path that you have for your career? Yeah, sure. It's, it's interesting, right? So I guess my, my history was I was an SDR first, did that for about a year, and then I moved on to account executive. And both roles I did well, right? I mean, obviously there's a learning curve with both and either you know, get to that point. But when I started realizing, again, going back to like being true to yourself and what skill sets got you to where you are, when I was an account executive, I was effective. I was like going over number, all those kinds of things. But what I started realizing was that 
my ability to motivate individuals to buy internally was externally was the reason why I was, I was effective. So it wasn't necessarily that I was like really good at solution selling and, and creating like these, per, these perfect project plans. It's more of the fact that I could get people to buy and to be rallied around each other, right? So when I think about that, like that's a skill set of motivation and leadership that I can apply somewhere else. And then, you know, again, my, my purpose, my why behind, you know, what I'm doing right now is I know that, you know, when I did make that transition to leadership, using that skill set to be really good at recruiting, really good at looking at intangible qualities, building out teams that maybe don't look almost like every single other BDR team allows me to use my skill set to help people get into sales, have generational wealth, and, you know, do the same thing later on when they start leading and building their own teams. So um, I do think it's important to know kind of like who you are and what your true skill sets are. And for me, I started realizing in my sales career that like, yes, I can sell really well, but I'm actually a much better leader, much, much better motivator. So my skill set is much more applicable in a leadership role where I can use that to create generational wealth for some people. I love that. It's, 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 I mean, it starts with the self-awareness you have, which is, is unique. And it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most important characteristics, especially that leaders can have. And I'm sure like you probably recognize you were good at motivating people, but you also probably recognize that you, you got a lot of like emotional energy from that as well. Um, so, so finding a way to spend more time doing that is, is critical. Uh, that's why I started Ship Group is I spent my nights and weekends helping hockey players from my network get into tech sales. And I'm like, why don't I just do this for a job? This is awesome. <laughs> exactly. It, it's so cool too. It's like, I, I literally, the highest high I can get in my career is, being someone who wants to be really good, helping them become really good, and then watching them, you know, not only dominate, but help other people dominate in the future. That is literally the reason why I work and why sales is my net, is my new football, essentially. So I love yeah. it. I love it. There, as a leader, like I always tell people, like if you get more joy from one of your people ringing the bell than when you rang the bell, you're a leader. Like that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So sounds like sure. you're in the right spot, man. Um, yeah. Well, this is this is a cool question because you're you're leading teams in this space now. So you know, in video games, you can like build the build the perfect player. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about like building the ideal BDR from scratch. Like, what are the attributes that you're given that that like you know five star five star BDR? <laughs> yeah. game? So I'll call it my my created player, like my, my created BDR. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah exactly. But so, you know, it's interesting because as I mentioned earlier, that like you know people can take a lot of different paths into becoming BDRs and SDRs. I've always noticed that like athletes and veterans have a lot of strong intangibles naturally through their, through their skill sets and their, through their experiences. But specifically when I'm looking to hire SDRs and BDRs, I'm not looking for like, did you go to an Ivy League school? Did you, were you an SDR BDR before? Have you, have you had sales experience? Have you worked in a corporation before? I don't really care about that. Yeah. What I the thing I care the most about are four core traits. And it's actually from the book called Leading Sales Development. The first one is grit. And again, being a veteran or an elite athlete, you most definitely have grit. But I think it's worth it to kind of highlight and define what grit actually means. So grit is essentially having a long-term goal. And this comes from Angel, Duck, Angel Duckworth's uh, grit. So having a long-term goal with consistent and passion towards that goal, despite plateaus and failures. So that's so I look for in resumes and conversations whether or not they've had those experiences. And again, like, if you're a veteran or an athlete, there's a pretty high likelihood that you've had those experiences. So it's just worth calling that out. Uh, the second thing is curiosity. And the reason why curiosity is really important is because individuals are naturally curious. Whether they have a lot of support or not are always going to be trying to figure out why and how things work. If you have people that are committed to doing that, they're only going to make themselves better through time. So it's just an important thing to kind of keep in mind. The third is conscientiousness. And again, this is a great skill set that 
a lot of veterans and athletes have, but conscientiousness is basically your commitment to improving by any means necessary uh, through time and through, through, you know, all your experiences. And, you know, individuals that are typically very thoughtful and intentional with how they do that have a high level of conscientiousness. And the last but not least, and this is definitely something that um, I wouldn't say it comes through your experiences, through your education, but a sense of business acumen. What that essentially means, it's not like, have you worked at a company or have you, you know, done any kind of internships, but do you have the ability to take a, a piece of information about a company or a persona, tie it back to your product and pitch to why they should buy your product? People that have the ability to do that really quickly tend to be really good sellers because they can think of their feet, they're, they're very fast. And when they have conversations with people, they're able to spin things to, you know, create value for that individual and, and basically help, help them help them understand why they should buy the product. So those, mo- those main four core traits I've always like built out my teams and had a lot of success in the past. But I think it's also worth noting that like, you don't have to be like the cookie cutter, like perfect resume, you know, shiny object thing out there. As long as you have those intangible skill sets and you can demonstrate them, people will want to hire you. I like those four a lot. And, and I think like that, that fourth one business acumen to your point, right? You, maybe you're coming out of the NFL, right? You don't, you might not necessarily know how exactly a business is organized or makes decisions, but I'm sure you showed like a level of creativity where it was like, okay, this is the problem we solve. This is what, based off my research, this customer cares about right now. How am I going to make that tie to that big business problem? Like what, like, and it, and it comes down to like having that creativity to tie it to that business. So I love that answer. Um, 100. And I can also say too, my time as an athlete, like I, when I made that transition, I like, it's a skill that can be acquired just so everyone knows that. Like, if you don't, if you, if you feel like you're not good at that right now, what I actually did was I spent some time looking at like our company list and like trying to figure out, even if I wasn't actually like selling to them, like what are different unique ways that I could pitch something? Cause there are a lot of different ways to sell to people. But like, what are different unique ways where there's one particular company that can pitch our product that, you know, was eventually help them buy. And the more I started doing that, the more it started becoming second nature to the point where I can just do it in my sleep now. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I didn't have that coming out as an athlete. Like I, again, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing when I took on this role. So um, again, it's something that can be built and I wouldn't necessarily be weary if you feel like you're not quite there yet, as long as you practice it daily. So it's, it does come down to practice and, and that's a, so we've been talking a lot about kind of intangibles. Let's, let's get into like the way I think of it is like there's intent, there's characteristics, there's mindsets, which athletes and veterans and guys like you kind of bring to the table. And then there's skills, habits, and processes that are specific to, to sales. Right. And, and I'd be curious to know, like, from a skill, like a very specific skill perspective, what do you think these early BDRs should really be focusing on to build a foundation for success, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. And this kind of goes back again to the whole self-awareness thing. Um, really being intentional with hearing feedback from people and learning what your strengths are. Again, going back to Jared Allen, like he's really good at these one or two moves, right? So for me, I wasn't the best emailer. I wasn't the best caller. But I was really good at creating processes and systems and like executing flawlessly on them and rinsing, repeating and improving it through time. So I started realizing, that, okay, my first quarter, I hit 50%. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I did right. I'm going to tweak the process. I'm going to call a bit more, email a little bit more, try this one channel, see the conversion rates with that, see what the results look like. And then I'll rinse and repeat and improve it through time. So the way I was a lot more effective was like, you know, I would only email people my first quarter and I was not calling anyone or... <laughs> only going after a certain amount of accounts because I thought there were other accounts I should go after. But when I realized like, oh wait, like maybe I should extend this by a bit more or try different channels or change my messaging. And that like ability to like constantly tweak, and I do it as a leader right now, 
that's the reason why I was a good SDR. So it wasn't that like I had like the gift of gab. I could just talk to everyone on the phone and like convert them into a meeting. Like some people were really good at that. It was more of like I'm very process driven and I'm very um, metric focused to the point where I'm looking to improve my machine through time. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I think you're right. Like we had one person answer. They said like get like they they're really good at using the technology, right? Like like products like yours, where it's like, hey, if you you don't have to be the best copywriter, you don't have to have the like you said the gift of gab, but if you can put to work like all these tools that your organization has built for your tech stack, and you can become an expert in that, then do that and use that to be successful. Like figure out your niche and just like ham hammer your niche big time. Exactly, uh, I love that. Um, I, I want to go back. You, you talked about how important leadership is in your first role. Any advice on like questions that um, like a candidate can ask about or look for when they're when they're trying to figure out if the if the leader is a good fit for them? Yeah. So I think a, a really I, I think a kind of common question people ask is like what their leadership style, which is great. I think we're gonna do that. You know, try to figure out exactly why you're asking that question. But typically, if you ask for people, you know, what their leadership style is, they start telling you things around like how they coach and how they use questions and how they guide people through problems. You start seeing more of that. And those are usually pretty strong people to look at. If you see someone who tends to take a lot more of a hands-off approach or, um, you know, they're, they're not really as involved, or if you ask even some BDRs that are in the, in the role before you get there and you kind of realize that they're not going to be kind of as supportive, then I'd obviously, you know, be very thoughtful and, and decide whether or not you want to pursue that opportunity. But again, a, a really simple question to ask is what their manager style is. The ones who are true leaders, are the ones that are like using questions in particular to ask and pull out information from people to get them learn at like guided learning as opposed to the ones who are just kind of like, all right, figure it out and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely like, and even asking like an example of like, Hey, can you give me an example of when you coached, coached uh, one of your reps up um, on, on a weakness or something like that? That's exactly. really good. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, how, you know, you looked up to Jared Allen in, in your NFL career. Do you have any like, mentors or, or people that have had a meaningful impact on your on your sales career um and anyone that you would kind of highlight what they taught you yeah definitely so i think that my biggest philosophy on mentorship is um like mentorship sh it shifts right so when i was an sdr i was looking at people that became aes and like some of the best sdrs out there what their process was like how they prepared what were they looking at things like that when I became an AE and I again realized I want to be an SDR leader, I started looking at people that were former AEs or great SDR leaders to try and figure out how they did it. And, you know, for me, I've, I've had a lot of mentors throughout history. I always feel like you have to have like a tribe of mentors, if you want to call it, yeah. um, but it's like go back to and pick their brain on. But it's constantly evolving. Like the mentors I have right now, call it three or four years from now, I'm probably not going to have them as a mentor as I continue to grow my career. Um, so again, I, I, I would encourage everyone to, you know, if you're, are, if you are pursuing mentorship to really, you know, make sure that you're focused on individuals that have done it before or have a track record of helping people do it before, uh, as opposed to just kind of taking things as they are and hoping that someone can guide you towards where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just comment on like one mistake I think I made early in my career was like all the mentors that I had initially were typically my, my bosses. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when you're a salesperson and you're a high achieving salesperson, your your boss is actually like making making a lot of money off of you. So if it's like if it's like time for you to move to a new role, you might not hear that from them. So like don't don't be afraid to look outside of your direct company too for mentors. In fact, it should be part of part of your mentor tribe should be people that don't work with you on a day to day basis and like make money off of you. 
I completely agree. And you bring up a good point. Always have one internal mentor and maybe not even in your department as well as I'd say more external. Like, oh, totally. Yeah, that's good advice. All right. Last two questions, man. We ask everybody these. Um, we always like to ask people, I think you kind of hit on the process side. Is that what you would say? Like if you were going to highlight one skill that makes you elite, would it be your ability to kind of optimize process? Like what, what do you think is your one skill that makes you an elite salesperson? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would say that that's probably one of my strongest. But again, the motivation piece, like and that comes from being an athlete and, and seeing teams and having amazing you know leaders and coaches in the past. I'm very good at getting teams to understand their true potential and helping them reach their goals. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm in leadership. So, you know, there are a lot of great pros that to you, for you can do to people as they're looking to, you know, go through their career and make success. And um, again, the operational aspect has been helpful as, as a BDR at AE and as a leader, but again, that motivation piece. Yeah. And, and, and you probably don't even realize this, Ernest, but I bet what you're really good at is understanding what motivates people to be successful, right? Like I, I had reps that worked for me that were completely coin operated. And the way that we would evaluate deals, the first thing I would start with is the commission that they were going to make off the deal. And then I'd work backwards asking them questions about like the economic buyer, the decision process. But like I always started with the money. Other people, like if, if, if someone like yourself worked for me and I knew that they had a goal of getting into leadership, I'd be, I'd be leading the deal with like, hey, if you're going to want to, you know, work with AE someday and be a manager, you're going to have to be able to like, step back from a deal and really look at it without emotion. So let's do that with this deal. And, it, and I just, it's a way to kind of motivate people is to figure out what motivates them to, to achieve success because everyone's different. You know what awesome. I mean? I agree. I agree. I love it. I love it. All right. So, um, Ernest, my, my father is a, he's a hall of fame hockey coach in Massachusetts. I got two brothers, both played college hockey. One of my brothers was in the Olympics and in the NHL. So when we were growing up, um, he used to tell us literally when we we're like seven years old, hey, there's a lot of people that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And and what he was trying to get into our heads was this idea of professionalism mm -hmm. and like approaching what you do as a true professional. And I think like when I talk about the great salespeople that I've gotten to know in my career, the highest praise that I can give someone, and I would I would say you're a pro, um, that's the that's the highest qualification is is you're a pro. Um, so, so what does being a pro in sales mean to you? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, this goes back to my time for being an athlete. Um, the minute you get any kind of positive or negative feedback, your ability to act on it, regardless of anyone else's inputs, creates an environment where you're a true pro. Like I know in the NFL, and you probably saw this, you know, professionally as well, you better not make the same mistake twice. Because if you do, they're coming for you. <laughs> so, um, you know, a true pro is someone who recognizes that, like, okay, I have this deficiency here, or I am really good at this thing, and I'm going to do whatever I can to either improve it or make it the thing that I'm going to win with. So a true pro in terms of sales is like, okay, from my, from my perspective, I realized that I was very process-driven. I'm going to do whatever I can, regardless of any coaching from my coach or any leadership guidance, to make that the very best skill set I have for me to continue to improve day in, day out. And I'm not going to rely on my leadership or my coaches to, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm watching webinars or talking to people or looking for ways to grow. I'm going to do it on my own. And again, especially being a, a professional athlete, like again, when you get that feedback from your coaches or from player personnel and you're not taking it to heart and, and trying to prove off of it, you know, you, you suffer the consequences or you reap the rewards from that. And, you know, being a true pro meant that you had to kind of take ownership of that. 
and being a salesperson who has the ability to really see everything about themselves and dedicate to what they need to improve or grow on uh, is a true pro in my definition. Dude, I love that. We've never gotten that answer. It's so true though, right? The, the, the ability to act on inputs quickly. I love that. That's so good. Thank you. Um, Ernest, this was awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for joining us. We're, I'm pumped. That we, we always say with these type of episodes, hashtag required listening. This is required <laughs> listening right here. Yeah, Thank love you. it. Thank you awesome, for joining man. us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.